means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 30, Grop, and I have Elizabeth with us. Hi everyone. Jen explicitly told me to not put her on this chapter. <laughs> I don't know why there's so With her hate. fervent hatred of Grop. No, so I'm, I'm kidding. For him. I don't this get was it. a normal scheduled podcast. <laughs> but uh, we have some shout outs before we get into the actual chapter. We have uh, Stella left a couple of comments on our podcast um, on Spotify, which you're more than welcome to do. And she commented on Order of the Phoenix Chapter 18, uh, Dumbledore's Army. And she goes, I don't like it. I loved it. (laughs) And she said this is her favorite Harry Potter book. Hey, us too. Yes, not Jen's, but it is our favorite. No, it's definitely our favorite. Uh, And then she also left a comment on uh, Chapter 28, uh, saying that Lily is kind of like Hermione, like an earlier version of Hermione. I could see that. Uh, another shout out from a comment on Spotify. Oliver commented on our Harry Potter Sorcerer's Stone Chapter 1, The Boy Who Lived. All the way back in the beginning. Long, long time ago. <laughs> I, I almost forget like, and sometimes we forget things mm-hmm. that happened in the books. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I know... I've said it's been a while since I've read Order of the Phoenix, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, Elizabeth? It's been a while since I've read Sorcerer's Stone. <laughs> because even though it's been our podcast, we read Sorcerer's Stone that was what, two, two years, years ago. ago. Dang. Think about that for a second. <laughs> so pardon us if we forget some details of earlier books, but it's been a minute. Uh, so, but anyway... Oliver commented on that first, first chapter a long time ago. Uh, Hello, my name is Oliver, and I really like this episode. It's really fun, and it really helps me like this book. My mom reads it to me. Good. Thank you, Oliver. I'm glad you're enjoying Harry Potter. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're kind of getting into the series, and you're enjoying it, and you're enjoying us talking about it. (laughs) We got another comment from Dubs JJ on Goblet of Fire, Chapter 1 of the Riddle House. That's a good chapter. Uh, it's a good chapter. It's a very good chapter. Uh, the comment is, I am rereading the whole series again, and I just started this book. Uh, your podcast is amazing, and I love your polls. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, thank I like you for seeing that. the poll results. The poll results are fascinating to look at. Yeah. I'm really happy that one of our recent polls, which was the chapter that Stella, one of the chapters that Stella commented on, Snape's worst memory. Mm-hmm. I'm very pleased to announce that uh, the poll was um, what do you think of James following this scene in the book where he bullies oh, Snape? Yeah. And my choices were oh, he's an awful bully. Mm-hmm. He's just young and immature and childish. Mm-hmm. Or Snape deserved it. Mm-hmm. And I'm very pleased to announce that across Spotify, Instagram and Twitter, all the places where we've run this poll, not one person voted that Snape deserved it. He which, didn't. Which <laughs> makes me very happy that our listeners are not really cruel. <laughs> so, but yeah. No, we have good listeners. I, I, I do love uh, all of the poll results. They're very interesting. And thank you for um, saying that you loved them too. And thanks for listening. You can catch, again, those polls on our Spotify. Each episode will have them. And uh, we try to post them as often as we can on Twitter and and Instagram. And they're open for, what, a year or more? No, the ones on Spotify are open long term. Okay. And uh, the ones on Twitter and Instagram are usually for a day or two. A day, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, be on the lookout for some of those. Uh, Speaking of Twitter, I want to give a shout out to Jenny Conway at Jenny Conway, who has been quite active on our... She's Twitter. Been one of our best fans. She's been one of our top <laughs> fans for sure, commenting and posting on Twitter and just giving us feedback. Yeah, very much enjoyed it. And we, we really appreciate all the comments. So thank you, Jenny Conway, for your continued support. We really appreciate it. 
Now, the chapter. Obviously centers around Hagrid's little surprise in the Forbidden Forest. But there are some other things going on in the chapter. We get uh, Fred and George and the legend of their escape. Oh my gosh. I'm so sad that I missed that part because it's one of my favorite scenes in the entire series. Their exit from Hogwarts is one of the true just masterpieces. Honestly, like the first time I read it, I think I cried because I was just so like, I was so moved by how awesome of an experience that scene was and Peeves like saluting, I think Fred is the one he saluted specifically, but like him being like, yes, I'm going to keep your legacy continuing on and, and do mass havoc is, is part of the reason why I love Peeves so much. Just such a good scene. Uh, we also get some Quidditch talk and some Quidditch scenes. Uh, although briefly, because then we get to the whole grop of it all in the Forbidden Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so since you loved that Fred and George scene so much, so much, let's talk about it a little bit. We we get a lot of the fallout from it because you get Umbridge and Filch still struggling to clean up the swamp that was left behind. Mm-hmm. You get teachers encountering it, but choosing not to aid in the cleanup of the swamp. I absolutely love. I absolutely love the fact that they're just like, eh, not my job, not my problem. Can I pose just a potential what if to you, though? Hmm. What if, like, McGonagall Mm -hmm. and Flitwick, like, come up to this thing? And we know how prodigiously talented they both are. Mm -hmm. But we also know that Fred and George are particularly gifted in their own right. Mm -hmm. Do you think they come up on the swamp and they're like, you know what? That's pretty good magic. I I don't know if I could, like remove it i don't know that i could fix this that easily like this might actually require some time and thought (laughs) i think if that was the case they'd be sending fred and george owls that were like you know what congratulations you you earned an a for my class some retroactive grading (laughs) yeah wow you did learn something congratulations all those comments all those attentions i gave you but clearly I taught you something. So, so you really see McGonagall just patting herself on the back for this yeah. later in the, in the teacher's lounge? Yeah. Just being like, dang, those those Weasley twins are good. I do. I, there's part of me that wonders, because it seems a lot of times with um, like books, things happen in threes, you know? So I, I do wonder if there was another scene that maybe was cut of the twins wrecking some havoc. And I was trying to think what would be a fun thing to see. And I just kept going back to bubbles. I want like I just I just want like bubbles everywhere that they had to like I don't know wouldn't go away wouldn't pop like a massive scourgeify spell maybe or like imagine if there they was, don't want like, to clean the castle oh you know, it would be really annoying oh if there was like a song that was just constantly singing and you couldn't get it to shut up and it just like repeats itself like like the song that never ends if they were okay. able to teach all the the portraits and the ghosts and everyone just started singing it and just driving umbrage insane. You just constantly hear like over what sounds like a PA system, their voice singing a song in rude lyrics. Yeah. 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 I think that would be a fun. Peeves would get behind that. Peeves would 100% get behind that. I think that would be a fun, fun thing. But that it's, could a be shame, a good one. it's a shame that they didn't get to do it three. And I just wonder if maybe like J.K. Rowling's editor was like, okay, we got to cut this book down somewhere. So that could be an scene. Maybe. I think this flows pretty well, and it makes sense the way it kind of played out. Mm-hmm. In the movies, they condensed the two into one because, you know, movies do need a right. time. I do remember being very disappointed the first time I saw the movie, as is what usually happens, because Peeves was not in that scene, and I was like, it was such well, a that, good that scene. Well, that scene was, so they merged it into one, mm-hmm. and... They had the twins exiting Hogwarts in a spectacular fashion. With all the fireworks. But it was the fireworks mm-hmm. thing that started it. Which, honestly, from a movie standpoint, if we're being like... Yeah, no, that's It actually cinematic. worked quite well. Yeah. So, I mean, there is that. I will say, I enjoy the fact that, like, after they leave, Harry comments about the fact that there's, like, these broomstick holes, shaped holes in Umbridge's It's a little doors. cartoonish. It's like Very Looney cartoonish. Tunes. Yeah. But they said that they hired a security troll to guard Rumors. Harry's. Rumors. Okay, rumors of it. But just imagine, like, if you were a parent, you'd be like, my tax dollars are going to a troll who is guarding a broomstick that's been confiscated. Why? <laughs> like, I don't think I'd want my money going towards that. 
Well, yeah, I don't, there's a lot of questions here, but clearly none of this is seeming to get out. No, so. no. With Fred and George and their exit, you now have new troublemakers trying to fill that void. It's like everybody. Everybody's you have doing it. Nifflers being put in Umbridge's office, wreaking mm -hmm. havoc. You have dung bombs being set off everywhere, causing a bubblehead charm to become the new school fashion. Yeah, so there's your bubbles. <laughs> yeah, everybody puts. If you remember the bubblehead charm, it was used uh, in Goblet of Fire in the second task. Mm -hmm. They used it to create so a like breathable like, air yeah, bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so to avoid all of the smells, they they do the bubblehead charm. Which I guess you know, if Flitwick is there, he's like, great. Everybody's <laughs> practicing charms. <laughs> this works out well again. Do you think he goes around being like, nice bubblehead charm there? I think he might set the dung bombs off himself. <laughs> He's like, I never thought of this teaching tactic before, <laughs> but here we are. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, you get the inquisitorial squad uh, getting mysterious injuries over and over and over again. Yeah, I like the one about pansy getting antlers. I thought that was a nice touch. That's aggressive. It, it's a fun thing to wake up with. You also have an apparent rise in skeeving snack boxes everywhere i okay i love this idea so much if i mean one it definitely shows how many they had sold which is like good job friend george that you have perfected such an interesting and unique like tactic here but i love that they call it umbrageitis and she puts four classes in detention and not a single kid squeals about what's going on and then she's just like all right well then everyone faints or vomits or like whatever else that happens like their fevers go up at any time i walk into the room and i can't do anything about it it's amazing well you mentioned peeves earlier peeves is being peak peeves mm -hmm. at this point he is just going full on mm -hmm. and the teachers are again once again being like eh, you know what i'll let you do that I love this scene with McGonagall telling Peeves how the chandelier unscrews. It's just like, that's why he respects McGonagall. That's why he doesn't mess with McGonagall. She, she's a little sneaky herself underneath all that. Can you transfigure a poltergeist? Because I'm sure if <laughs> it was possible, she'd do it. <laughs> and has possibly done so in the past at some point. I don't know, but I think he recognizes a woman who... Also doesn't mind some chaos. Well, he is taking full advantage of what seems to be a full-on mutiny mm -hmm. in the castle. Mm -hmm. So if everybody is essentially on the same side, except for a group of roughly, like, I don't know, 10 to 15 people. Right. Like, it is, like, it's war. And right. Peeves is taking full advantage. I love it. I love it. It's like the castle's fighting back. Uh, you also get Montague still recovering from being in a toilet, mm -hmm. which is just an odd sentence to say. Uh, Hermione almost wants to help and say, like, oh, should we just say what happened because well, of we should you, help you him. feel bad when you see the parents being angry and upset and worried about their own child. But Fred and not Fred, um, Ron and Harry are both like. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. Ron says in protest to Hermione's efforts to help, mm -hmm. he says permanent injury is worth it since he took points from Gryffindor. That's aggressive. No, it's not okay. Like, permanent injury is not an equal punishment to just taking some points away. No one cares in the ultimate, like, bragging rights, okay, sure. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Nothing matters. Permanent injury is a permanent injury. Like, that's a problem. It scarred his ego. He took points away from them. But no, I agree with One you, does not equal the other. Those <laughs> those scales do to not balance. To a teenager, it doesn't matter because, you know, I didn't like him. He's a Slytherin. But no, you're 100% right. that it, It's not the same thing. So we still get some hairy dreaming dreams. And Hermione continues to nag about it. As she should. As she should. And, and Hermione, okay. To back up a second, Hermione's also nagging about Harry giving the twins the gold for their premises, for their joke shop, which I like that they finally have fessed up about that because it seems like for a second there we we're going to accuse the twins of engaging in like illegal trades with Mundungus. But yeah, she wants the 
nag him about that and nag him about not doing Aquamancy and nag him about not studying for finals. Well, I feel like... a lot of nagging from Hermione this chapter. That's true. But I also feel like, you know, because we on the podcast have gotten some flack from some of our listeners about being a little too harsh on Harry. I feel like Hermione is the voice of a lot of our guests Mm. that have come on and gotten on Harry like <laughs> Hermione is that voice I mean Harry even flat out said that his brain almost seems to have a Hermione voice and that's the part of his dreams that are like let's not go down this strange mysterious corridor towards dusty spears in row 97 let's dream about something else well he specifically says that as the dreams go on he's so curious about the orbs that he's quote keen Mm-hmm. for the dreams to continue mm-hmm. which is upsetting because it specifically goes against the advice of albus mm-hmm. sirius lupin hermione and snape yeah like it goes against the advice of all of them but harry knows best apparently <laughs> apparently like i understand the curiosity don't get me wrong i understand the curiosity well yeah but but yeah, if, if, if you've been so, told many by so people, many people then don't respectable do it. people respectable yeah. people that have like stake in this game yeah to be like you need to stop this you should at least make a better effort right at least make a better effort but anyway we get to quidditch which he would like to be making an effort in at all but he alas uh, is still sidelined I like Ron's little ray of hope, though. He's like, I mean, I've been so bad. I can't get worse. I can only go up from here. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Gryffindor got a break in that Hufflepuff beats Slytherin. So now you get Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. And all Gryffindor has to do to clinch the Quidditch Cup is to beat Ravenclaw. That's all you got to do. Crazy that they were able to get to that spot based on all the drama they've had all season. Yeah, Angelina Johnson has ultimately done a good job of wrangling it together enough. Yeah. (laughs) Enough. And some things have broken your way in a couple of different ways. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think Malfoy is just too preoccupied with the Inquisitorial Squad, and it's distracting from his Quidditch skills, clearly. (laughs) But uh, anyway, Gryffindor has a chance to win. So Harry and Hermione go down to watch the match. And Harry's reminded about the fact that Cho is playing... Yeah, Cho is still the seeker for the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she is heavily involved in this. And... But heavily not, like, avoiding all contact with Harry. Like, all eye contact. And Harry's like, you know, I don't even know what I want to happen anymore. I just want us to stop fighting. She could just be focusing on the match, not specifically avoiding Harry. Yeah, but from his eyes, she is. Well, she could just be focusing. She could be. <laughs> she could be she in the zone. She very well could be, but he's like, mm, she's not looking at me. It's a big match for Ravenclaw, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, Gryffindor does have a chance to win. They go down and watch the match. Ron lets in the first goal, which, in Ron's defense here, the the chaser for Ravenclaw here goes by three Gryffindors. Mm-hmm. And that's not all on Ron. No. You guys have a job to do, too. And the beaters have a job. The chasers have a job. And you all blew it, (laughs) and now Ron has to save you on the back end. And I know that that's his job as keeper, but still, let's not put all of this on Ron. Well, Let's not get zipped by. Ron has a fun little song that they can sing that makes it easy to blame it all on Ron. Well, that's not blaming Ron either. I mean, (laughs) the song is a taunt. Yeah, but that's why like it goes on to Ron more than it does with the other people. He's the one ultimately letting the goal in, Mm -hmm. which is fine. But I'm sorry, if the other player is zigzagging between all of your players, I think that's a team issue, not just a him <laughs> issue. I'm just, I come from a sports background. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit more there, but we can break down Quidditch, you know, strategy in another episode. That's the only thing that they see because Hagrid comes in and steals them away from the match, the rest of the match. Although Harry does have. Zero faith in Ron, because as they're walking with Hagrid, more screams come out from the Quidditch pitch, and he goes, that'll be Ron letting in another goal. I'm like, Harry, come on. Yeah. That's rude. Well, to be fair, I mean, Harry's not exactly in the best. He's not very happy these days, so it's easy to assume the worst. So Hagrid leads them into the Forbidden Forest, and 
we uh, get a, a somewhat more nervous Hagrid than we've seen before in the forest. Which is basically why they decided to follow him, because he just looked so beat up and like desperate, I think, that they're like, okay, we'll, we'll figure out what's going on, finally. He takes a crossbow with him, mm-hmm. a loaded, ready-to-go crossbow. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that the centaurs have been riled up, and they're not speaking with Hagrid currently. And he notes that they almost killed friends, like not just kicked him in the chest. Like, yeah, no, flat out almost They him. were going to kill him. And he also notes that the centaurs are very influential in this forest. Mm-hmm. They're the most clever beings in the forest. And if they're not liking someone or something in here, they make it known. And then other creatures take note <laughs> and essentially... Uh, start feeling the same way Mm -hmm. influence and they do ask like i mean okay why now why are you bringing us out here and just telling us now and he said that umbridge thinks he's the one putting the nifflers in her office and i love that harry's like well did you he's like no i did not do that are you kidding me but just because it's related to care magical creatures then obviously it would have been haggard so she's just looking for an excuse to get rid of him. So if ever we're going to approach this, you know, this secret, now is the only time Honestly, to do it. I'm surprised she hasn't gotten rid of him already. Yeah. Do you think that JK was writing this book, forgot about that plot line altogether, and was like, I have to actually write that in, and then like this is the moment where she writes it in? Maybe. Because I I mean Let's be real. It's Umbridge. I mean, I she would have fired him the week after Trelawney. To be fair, I guess she's been very busy with the castle and the chaos of the twins. Preoccupied. She's yeah. preoccupied. I'm a little too preoccupied. I imagine like there's, you know, putting out the fireworks and dealing with the swamp and the dung bombs and peeves. And there's probably angry phone calls. And if rumor is to be true, she can't actually get into the office, Dumbledore's office. So she's also probably got fudge on her back wanting to know what's going on. So it's probably been she's had too much of a busy first week or so to well, deal with Hagrid. Well, all of that's true. She does love punishing half-breeds. So <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised that this hasn't been one of the top top things on her list. Well, good on Hagrid for having the foresight to like take care of this now. Well, Hagrid is expecting to be sacked any yeah. day now. And he wants to leave on his own terms. And he f- says, you know, hey, even if I ha- am sacked, Grubbly Plank will get you through your exams. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be real. I'll be more useful for the order once I'm out of here, too. Mm-hmm. So there are bigger and better things that I can be doing other than this. As we're having these conversations, Harry notices that they're going deeper and deeper into the forest. And he has yet to see an actual creature, yeah, which is abnormal yeah, for walking into the forest. Eventually, he finds out why. You get Grob, who starts out as just a large mound that they just take as like, oh, that's a large mound of earth, a couple of boulders. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And then they notice it starts breathing. And they realize that this is a small, it's a small, 16 foot, small giant. 16 feet. Yeah. We also find out that it's Hagrid's half-brother, which is why he put on all of the effort to bring this small giant back from what we presume is Eastern Europe, maybe Western Russia, somewhere in there, like the mountains far, far away. He said that the giants were beating him up and he felt bad and didn't want to see his half-brother getting abused like that, so... Bring him home, figured he could civilize him a little bit, teach him some English. That's hard. That's very hard. I don't think people really understand how hard it would be to get essentially a 16-foot toddler. Mm -hmm. To travel. Thousands of miles. Yeah. Like, that's... And And not being noticed? That's hard. When we read the books, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's so hard to visualize something so big. And at first I was thinking about those Halloween skeleton decorations that they have that are the 12 foot ones and how large those are. Mm -hmm. But then also as I was driving over to record today, driving by one of the car dealerships, I saw this massive, massive, massive Santa 
like blow up balloon thing that looked like it had to be a good 16 feet or so and it was just big it was so big i'm like that is the size that guap would be and then it's, it's huge it's so big well you're talking about like if we have any basketball fans out there the from ground to the rim is 10 feet so mm -hmm. you're another six feet higher than that mm -hmm. and it's not just like tall and skinny like it's gonna be like thick yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's a, it's a big big body to be moving that distance without causing destruction and we know Hagrid isn't technically supposed to be doing magic to cover up anything and we know that he was I mean, he, of course, he's going to draw attention, so it, it'd be a long How way in the back. world did he get him to the island of Great Britain? I have no idea. Did he, like, <laughs> steal a rowboat and row them over? Like, how in the world did that happen? A magically enhanced boat so the weight wouldn't Did he marry Poppins it? it with his umbrella wand? Or, like, I don't know how His this... motorcycle? <laughs> like, Maybe. I don't but know. I don't think Grop can fit on that thing. I wouldn't know. To be fair to Hagrid, though, because, I mean, we know, like, Friends, and Harry, Harry thinks about this, how Friends was like, ooh, this attempt is not working. The attempt of civilizing him, teaching him English. Hagrid did mention that there are giants who could understand English and maybe speak a little bit about a little bit of the language. So it's not completely unheard of. It's just like, oh, that's a difficult task, especially when you don't recognize your own strength and every move you make seems to harm those around you. It's hard. Hagrid tries to introduce Grop to the duo of Harry and Hermione. Hermie. It does not go well and almost grabs Hermione mm -hmm. or Hermie. Hmm. And Harry like pulls her out of the way. Yeah. He's ripped up trees by the roots and thrown them away. Mm -hmm. Like this is an imposing, dangerous figure who's clearly the whole force is like, nope. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think we're cool with this. Nope. And which once again, I, I find it so hard to visualize how big the forest is, but if it can hide this 16 foot giant, I wonder if it's a magically enhanced forest. Hmm. Yeah. Or just a magically, I mean, it's gotta be protected under some magical abilities to just keep everything contained within it. You right. Know? I don't know, but it's just, and I, I guess when I read the books, even when I was younger, I or did the centaurs visualize it. Do the centaurs just police it? Maybe. Because they are the smartest. I, I mean, they, they they were able to find him. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's such a big forest. And yet they were all able to see Hagrid as they were coming back and be like, we told you not to come here again. Yeah. Magorian. I'm going to pronounce it that way. <laughs> uh, Magorian says that Hagrid is not welcome. He seems to be the leader of the centaurs mm -hmm. because even, you know, Bane shows up, who we've seen before. Bane's got a little bit of a violent streak. He's more aggressive, but mm. seems to defer to Megorian. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but yeah, he says he's not welcome. He lets him go due to the presence of children. He said, the slaughter of falls is a terrible crime. We do not touch the innocent. They're like, okay, he's not their kids' kids. They're just like students from school. They've probably benefited from Ferenz's knowledge, and we should get them. And he's like, no, 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 they're innocent. They're children. Today you pass. Next time, though, you die. Uh, Hagrid begins trading barbs with them and going back and forth, mm -hmm. which is just objectively not wise. Well, then he doesn't seem to realize how much he's freaking out Harry and Hermione. Yes, because Hagrid might be a match for many things in that forest does not mean Harry and Hermione are. Right. They are quite vulnerable here. Right. But in this back and forth with Hagrid and the centaurs, I have to ask a question. Whose side are you on? The centaurs say that Grop does not belong here. He's causing a disruption to the whole vibe, the ecosystem, if you will, of this mm -hmm. forest. And Hagrid's like, you don't own the forest. No one owns the forest. It's a forest. <laughs> like, everybody has a right to be in here. 
Uh, it's hard because I do see both sides of the argument. I mean, if it was, if we are to say that the forest is their home, you wouldn't want someone randomly coming and settling on your land and being like, well, it's just land. I'm, I'm free to go wherever I want. And it is destroying the balance that has been well established. I mean, gosh, imagine if Grop started to, like, try to go after the centaurs and, like, hunt What if he one... thinks the horsemen are food? Right. <laughs> that or, like, a unicorn yeah. or something. I mean, I suppose a unicorn would be too fast probably for him. but Very likely. But, yeah. like, if by any chance that were to happen, I mean... Uh, and, and he doesn't know any better, but it would ruin the ecosystem. So I could see that side of it. I see Hagrid's point that where else should he put him? Obviously, you can't bring him to the castle and he can't fit in his hut. And it's better to keep him away from humans while we're trying to civilize him because otherwise children are... Are all going to be hurt? I really, I don't know. You gotta, I mean, from the centaur's point of view here, Hagrid has added a I'm small, <laughs> a small giant, but that's not the only thing he's ever added to this forest. He added an acromantula mm -hmm. to this forest, mm -hmm. which I can't imagine the centaurs were super pleased about when that happened either. Well, again, it's like, how big is this forest? The spiders had their own little area, and that seemed to be perfectly fine. The centaurs have their area. We know there was, you know, coral sneaking around at one point in the forest, and the unicorns, and, and there was the car that was wandering around in the forest. So do you think the centaurs have a right in telling Hagrid that he can't enter the forest? No, I, I do think that if anyone's going to enter the forest, Hagrid, out of all people, has the right to. Based on all the respect, he has shown every creature in that forest this entire time. This is just one of those, like... We're disagreeing with you and we're not understanding why it's so important to you. You're blinded by the foolishness of like what this is doing to our forest and to our home. It's just a hard, hard one. At least, I guess, they're warning him like, hey, we don't want you here if you enter or you if you cross our path. Mm -hmm. We are going to act accordingly. <laughs> to I don't their know. credit, they haven't they, like they view attacked it as Guar. They, huh, they don't. They view it as trespassing. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't attacked Grop because I think they're fearful of what you if do. if Hagrid can save Ferenz from like three, four, five of them. Right. What is Grop capable of? Because he's bigger, stronger. He doesn't understand English, and he doesn't know his own strength either. So mm -hmm. he could like swat at a centaur and like kill the centaur. Right. So, like, I don't think they've attacked Grop yet because they're, I think, measuring their abilities of being like, can we even? I could do that. Like, can we even actually harm that thing? Mm -hmm. I don't know that we can. Well, I also wonder if it's like, you know, it, it, like you called him a, a large child. And if they were to attack a large child who doesn't know what he's doing... Does that fall under their foals thing? Is yeah, that why they haven't attacked or, him? Or like, does that make them look bad? Like, they almost need to be provoked into attacking him. But right now, there's just no reason to. There's no reason to go over there because it, it is, like like you said, like, if you go over to that area of the forest now, you're going to die. There is an inherent risk in going near a giant. Yeah. Which is a risk that Hagrid wants Ron and Hermione and Harry to take. Come back and educate yep. him while that, he's gone. That's the upshot of what Hagrid wants, is that he's showing them all of this because if and when he gets sacked and goes to help Dumbledore, he wants Ron, Hermione, and Harry to help teach Grop English. Here's my two cents on that real quick. <laughs> Why does Hagrid have to leave and... Oh, why can't he just? Like, why can't he just stay in the forest? Not like Umbridge is gonna be like or coming just into the in forest. His house, just be like, okay, you can't teach. 
Like this is his home. That's that's not gonna fly. With I know that won't fly with. Umbridge, and it's but not yeah, gonna you're fly. Right. Like he could just go into the. He forest. could just she's, go in the forest. She's not gonna go in the forest. No, she's not gonna follow after. I don't think she wants any part of that forest. No. I mean, she could, I guess, send Aurors in to go chase him out, but yeah, but they're looking for Dumbledore right now. We can't, we can't put them into this little feud with the forest, forest feud. Maybe, but I guess that's my point. Is like, Hagrid, you don't have to ask the trio to do this. You could do like, this. He wants them to come down in the invisibility cloak. Okay, there's limits to the invisibility cloak, especially now that like Ron's so tall and whatever. But he's like, yeah, do it once a week. How the heck are we supposed to get out of this castle that's being guarded like crazy and sneak out to the forest once a week to like shout at a creature who is going to like leave us bruised if it left him bruised? It's gonna like break our arms and stuff. Like, there's no way we can do that. Plus, there's owls coming up. We got to take those. It's it's an it's a nice sentiment to be like, yeah, Hagrid will do whatever we can to help you. But it is one of those promises that they're like, why why did we make this? So understandably, they are a little put off mm-hmm. by this whole thing. They're a little frazzled, if you will. Well, I mean, Hermione almost just got snapped up by massive hands just coming at her. Like that was terrifying. Uh, yeah, so they're a little bit frazzled. They exit the forest. They notice that, conveniently, the match is over and everybody's leaving, so they could just blend her right back into the crowd. Yeah, how much do you think J.K. Rowling loved the fact that she didn't have to write another Quidditch scene? Well, that's probably why she delayed this, so she didn't have to write a Quidditch scene. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we they do notice, as they get near to the crowd, that the Weasley is our king lyrics have changed slightly. Okay. I want to know and this is my first opportunity to ask because every time there's a chapter with song lyrics i'm never on but i always want to know how did you hear the song in your head when you read it what do you mean like a melody yeah like what was the tune you put it to because whenever i i do it it's like it's always the same so it's like, Weasley can save anything. He never leaves a single ring. That's why Gryffindors are singing. Weasley is our king. Like, to me, that's how it comes across. How does it come across to you? I don't know. Not like that. <laughs> like, did you ever put a melody to it? I don't know that I ever did, honestly. Really? Until maybe the movie came out and they did the movie, which is obviously where we got our break sound from. They had, Did they actually put the whole song? In? Not the whole song, but they put snippets. Obviously, we couldn't find the best version of it but <laughs> every time i hear the the weasley's our king it's always weasley is our king like like that i'm always fascinated to know how other people heard it when they read the books but wasn't like that for you huh uh i can't recall ever thinking of a specific melody to it <laughs> I, I can't recall ever thinking of one interesting uh so yeah the lyrics change and we find out that Gryffindor has indeed beaten Ravenclaw, won the Quidditch Cup. Yay! And Harry and Hermione were like, you know, we'll tell Ron later. <laughs> and that's how the chapter ends. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so uh, we will pause it here, and then we will get to what I'm pretty sure will be an abbreviated spoiler section. I, I don't think we have too much, but mm-hmm. we will be right back. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section for Chapter 30, Grub. And we wanted to kind of dive back into Harry's dreams and Voldy's role in those dreams. And uh, I think you had some specific thoughts on them. Yeah, so, I mean, from in terms of a reader's perspective, the way the dreams have slowly but surely grown more and more and more detailed is good for also building our anticipation of what's to come and and getting us just as curious as Harry in in terms of wanting to know what's next and what's it mean, especially since we do know that it is connected to Voldemort in some way, shape, or form. Um, But I was trying to imagine from Voldemort's perspective of being like, why hasn't this kid come searching for everything that I'm showing him yet? And it said in the book he was getting irritated with, like, his stress from the owls 
keeping him from being able to see further and further and further into the dream. I'm just imagining Voldemort just sitting there like, gosh darn it, I can't compete with like Transfiguration and, and Charms class right now. So like, I want him to, to go to my plans. I got to deal with this Hogwarts stress. To be clear, the the real turning point here is the attack on Arthur Weasley. Right. I think... That signal to Voldemort, someone else has seen what's going on at Perry. I can use this against him. Yeah, so I, there's a couple of things going on there. You know, Harry, I think, is quote-unquote keen to keep this going, not only because he's genuinely curious about where it's going, mm -hmm. but I think he views it as, I am spying on Voldemort, and I'm getting a one-up on everything that he's doing. Yeah, it's a special connection that no one else understands. Right. And I think that is true. Until Voli becomes aware of it at that Arthur Weasley moment. And kudos to Voldy for being able to pick up on that so quickly and weaponize it. Yeah. Because I... I truthfully don't think Snape, I think this is too big of a detail in the whole war for Snape to give that detail to Voldy. Voldy pieces together. I don't think it was like Snape coming back and being like, Harry Potter oh. saw Arthur yeah, Weasley no, get no, attacked. No, no. I fully agree. I think I don't think Snape... That's too big a piece of information to give Voldy. And I don't think Voldemort would be letting on to anybody that Harry is seen into him i think he would see that as a vulnerability so it's more like i'm gonna keep this secret i'm gonna manipulate it and then everyone's gonna be impressed with how i was able to lure him to the department of mysteries i don't know that it's i don't know that he's keeping it a secret because he does love to boast about his abilities i think it's more he's he's boasting of like look how easily manipulated this child is but he's not letting on to the strategy he's using to manipulate him or like the, the means of it. Like we know that he knows from creature since creature has at this point left the black household and gone and told them that Harry cares for Sirius so much that he'll do anything for him. And he's like, okay, well that's how I can manipulate him. Like I, I think the, the death eaters know that the inner circle knows a fair amount, because they were there when he came back, and he they know that Voldy has the blood of Harry Potter in him. Right. So I, I think their scene is like, oh, Voldemort, he's so smart. He knows how to lure this idiot child to the Department of Mysteries, and it's, it's so easy to trick him because he's just such a silly little stupid fool. And I think the connection that he has of being able to see and, and manipulate... Um, his dreams, I think that's the aspect that Voldemort's keeping secret. This is why I think it's unfortunate that Harry doesn't take the advice of the adults around him more seriously is because you have people like Aldous, Sirius, and Lupin who have fought against Voldy and know what he is capable of mm -hmm. deploying as weapons. Mm-hmm. Arthur and Molly, for that example, too. But um, but in Snape's circumstance, he knows what Valdi's capable of on a more intimate level because... He's been there. He's been in that room. <laughs> so, you know, I get Harry doesn't like Snape and has every reason to be like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be dealing with you. Mm -hmm. But he might be one of the more crucial people to listen to because he's got insider info. He's like, this matters. He, you, know what? you don't understand how he can manipulate this. You know what I wonder? Imagine if like, if Dumbledore or Snape had insisted that Hermione learn Occlumency first and then had her try to teach it to Harry. How much more successful that would have been? You're probably correct. <laughs> and that would have been a next level move uh -huh. from Dumbledore, which he's usually capable of making. I, I know time was of the essence and whatever, but I, I, I do think Hermione would be very 
how skilled at it. I don't think she'd enjoy doing it. Do but... we though? Because it's a skill that has to be learned and not via a book. Yeah, I'm not I taking think... a shot at Hermione there. No, no, but I think because it's a new subject, that could be a challenge for her, but like a good challenge. It's a practical subject. It's a practical thing, but it, it's not like divination where it's like, I think for her, when she sees divination, it's like, okay, predicting the future, you can, nobody can do that. But this is something that there's proof that you can do it. I think she would enjoy that challenge. I think we can assume that once Hermione knew that Aquamancy was a linchpin to the Order of the Phoenix's game plan against Voldy, mm-hmm. she would read up on it quite thoroughly. Oh, yeah, probably. And I feel like it's safe to assume once she's read up on the theory of Aquamancy and Legilimens, she might try to practice it in her own right mm-hmm. before she goes to bed at night. Mm-hmm. Try to, like, empty all emotion and try to do it. Well, especially since they're all such good friends. Like, I could see her being like, okay, I tried it, and this is how it worked for me. Maybe you can try it, and that will help you do better on it. Because we know it's so important for you to learn it. I think those conversations have happened. Mm. The problem is, Harry's taking it as Hermione is nagging me again. Right. And he's not taking it positively. He's taking it negatively. And everybody's pushing him to... It's like... If I told you, Elizabeth, I need you to do this. Elizabeth, I need you to do this. Elizabeth, I need you right, to do this. The more you tell me, the less I want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a problem. <laughs> it's a real problem. I also think, and maybe this is this is just me, but to a degree, I can understand Harry's desire to see more of the dream because I also have very, very vivid dreams. And sometimes they are like movies. And if I was watching the same movie every night... And it kept cutting out right when it was going to get really, really good. I'd want to go take a nap so I could see the rest of my dream. Well, that's why I think no one really talks about the Voldy side of this, which I think is a great thing that you brought up, is he's literally baiting a hook Mm -hmm. for Harry. And wondering, like, why isn't this working yet? Well, no. It should work. It's clever, though. It's clever on his part to not try to just jerk and reel him in immediately. Right. He's slowly bringing him in and just getting him closer and closer to the trap that he sets. Right. Like, it's a really brilliant well, I mean, move he on says, his part. Since this is spoilers, I mean, he says later when they're in the ministry that he wondered why just pure curiosity didn't lure Harry to the Department of Ministries right from the get-go. Because he assumed that Dumbledore told Harry about the prophecy, like, day one, and just mere curiosity would make him want to go to the ministry, pick up the orb, and, and hear from the source what the prediction had been. But then it's like, why isn't he coming? This should be... I mean, I want to hear it. Why doesn't he want to hear it? It's like, oh, Dumbledore didn't tell him. Okay, we have to lure him a different way. That's where creature's information comes into play of he'll come to save somebody. He'll come to save Sirius. Okay, let's pretend like Sirius is here then. Can I ask you a semi-related follow-up question? Yeah. Do you think you have an inherent right to access a prophecy made about you? That's tricky, because... Yes, it is. That's why I asked the question. (laughs) I think, to a degree, yes, because it is made about you, and information about you, I, I would think you should have the right to choose whether or not you want to listen to it. If it's in prophecy form that could alter your path, your your way well, forward. Well, that's when you get into the whole, is it fate or is it, like, your choice? Because if, you cho- if you are choosing to listen to it and then the actions, the choices you make are based on what you hear, then it seems like it's more fate. But if you pick it up and listen and you're just like okay whatever and then you just live your life you're not actively trying to make it happen if it does then happen then i feel like that's different than you trying to make it happen i feel like in the case of a prophecy mm-hmm. what will happen will happen mm-hmm. what's in that prophecy is going to come true mm-hmm. that is set in stone as you will so do you want to listen to it and then have you try to alter your own fate and try to like 
manipulate it. That's literally the plot of Macbeth. For those who have never read Shakespeare, <laughs> that's literally what Macbeth is all about. So it's a it's a tricky thing. So let's say let's say Harry's allowed to at least get through Hogwarts, mm -hmm. but then he becomes of age. Mm -hmm. You're an adult. Mm -hmm. Are you then granted the opportunity to, I've like, also... does the Ministry of Magic contact you and be like, hey, there's this prophecy, <laughs> you're involved. Maybe after it had happened and it's expired, then maybe they'd be like, okay, here, you can know that there was a prophecy made about you and it's happened. But I think we've already seen through Voldemort what happens when you act on a prophecy. He heard the one that, um, I mean, through Snape, he learned heard Trelawney's first prophecy, but he heard half of it. And because of that, every action he's taken has been to try to eliminate Harry Potter and seen how that has backfired. So if Harry were to listen to the prophecy in his whole and just act on it without Dumbledore's wisdom to help like guide him through it, I could see that being not having the best like consequences i know we're not huge fans of the ministry of magic <laughs> especially under fudge's reign oh, but the department of mysteries mysteries is fascinating well that's what i'm getting at is they have that under lock they have prophecies mm -hmm. under lock and key mm -hmm. for a reason mm -hmm. like they probably view it as we are generally protecting everyone by not letting you have access to this <laughs> Um, I could see that. So that's probably their angle on it. Well, then it's like all they do in that specific part of the department then is make sure people aren't touching the orbs, I guess, or, or adding more rows so that more glass jars. I think that happens just magically, naturally. Yeah. Whatever the enchantments are in the room. I think you have someone guarding the general premises. But I don't think there, because there's a lot of things in the Department of Mystery. I wonder with, I mean, once a prophecy comes true, if you could touch it, is there a way to study it and see the the science behind the magic of how is this prophecy able to be created? I have two more questions. <laughs> One, yeah, is this the more, or is this the most prominent? of the ministries of magic throughout the world because of this department of mysteries. Mm. Does every ministry of magic have something like this where it's like the secrets of magic locked away? Or is this the only one? That's a good question. Making this essentially the focal point of the magical world. This part of the ministry just makes me think about like, like, like scientists in some secret lab that are, are, doing the darkest deepest craziest like experiments that they possibly can because it's like they like we said they have the the room about love the death they have the future they have the one with space there's the one with the brains and it, it's like every abstract concept that magic could potentially manipulate or like be used for they seem to be wanting to study so does every ministry of magic have yeah, one or is I, this I, the only one i don't know it would be interesting if it was like okay only only predictions related to british subjects could like you know people of the uk can end up in this one ministry's orb room <laughs> but i don't know do you think the united states one has a or I don't know. That's the question I'm asking. Predictions, or do they all get funneled into this one? It has to be a massive room. It can be infinite. Yeah. <laughs> like it's magic. It could be infinite. Yeah. I don't know, but it's a it's a fascinating concept. Second question. Mm -hmm. We know when Harry, Ron, and Hermione were at Grimald Place, the very beginning of this book. Mm-hmm. And there was talk of a weapon. Right. And we know the curiosity that just that sparked in the trio. Mm -hmm. Just the talk of Voldy wanting a weapon. Mm -hmm. Or trying to get access to a, a weapon. weapon. 
And do you think the events of this book or the moments that we're encroaching upon mm-hmm. change if they just right up front tell Harry, like, hey, there's something in the Ministry of Magic. It's uh, in one of the rooms in a Department of Mysteries. There's a lot of shrouded information about this that even we aren't 100% aware of. But what I'm basically saying is, do you think them giving more info would help warn Harry that, hey, Voldy might try to use this as a way to get to you? Well, I think Dumbledore says afterwards, after the Department of Mysteries, like, you know, he has, the weapon was the knowledge of how to destroy you. Because he had heard the first part of the prophecy. He knew that the two of you couldn't live at the same time. So he tried to kill you. Thought that would work. Didn't work. So now he needs the knowledge of how to destroy you. Hence wanting the rest of the prophecy. I think if Harry had been warned like. Hey. There is something in the ministry. That will tell Voldemort how to defeat you. Just FYI. Learn Occlumency. And then that will kind of save you from that happening i don't know if that would more encourage harry to seek it out well that's my question yeah or or be like oh okay well i guess i'll i'll be extra careful and i won't fall for any tricks but because this whole dreams scenario of voldy like slowly reeling him in Mm -hmm. for the big trap that comes very soon maybe that's not as effective if they're more upfront with harry in the beginning i think if snape we know Snape told Dumbledore that Harry was dreaming about this room. I think if Dumbledore had just flat up and like, hey, that room you keep dreaming about, that's there's a reason why you keep dreaming about it. Try to tune it out. I know it's going to get annoying to have the same dream over and over and over again, and maybe you get a little bit further and further and further, but just know you can't trust those kinds of dreams because those are dreams that are being manipulated and that will manipulate you just like tune them out or something i guess what i'm kind of the side that i'm falling on as i'm thinking about this and as i'm talking about it now is i don't know who pitched the idea that harry can only know so much and not even a little bit more like this is it Mm -hmm. i don't know if it was molly i don't know if it was albus i don't know if it was moody I don't know who, but I feel like this is a short-sighted moment where if they had let him in a little bit more, maybe this doesn't backfire on them in such a spectacular way. I think this is just Albus thinking that he's protecting Harry from Voldemort by keeping knowledge away from him and and make it so Voldemort doesn't attack Harry because he thinks he's so close to Dumbledore. Last question, I swear. And then we'll, <laughs> and then, and then we'll wrap this up. Okay. Uh, do you think, because Harry can feel every time Voldy is excited or angry or happy or scared or can, whatever. Can Voldemort feel Harry's emotions? Can Voldy feel that Harry's curious and his, curious is, his curiosity is building and he wants that answer? And can he feel that and then just manipulate that more? I think he's more feeling Harry being like, Ugh, what do I do about Cho? There's so many No, things. you know. <laughs> you know. He also feels secondhand embarrassment from their Valentine's Day date. <laughs> I had I had a serious question <laughs> with actual implications. And you took it there. <laughs> You guys tell me. (laughs) Fine. I think to a degree, yeah, he's probably recognizing that Harry is is curious and he knows curiosity killed the cat, but uh, the satisfaction of of knowing the answer will get exactly what Voldemort wants, which is luring him to the ministry to touch the orb and and let them both hear the prophecy. So you're thinking there's something to Voldy being able to maybe tap into Harry's excitement about getting closer and closer and closer and that want, that desire to get to the end of that. I think one 
trait that Voldemort has that he doesn't get enough credit for is his patience. He, because he wasn't patient the first time around and acted too brashly or rashly with trying to go after Harry as a baby, he's learned from that mistake, which is a dangerous thing when your villains can learn lessons. And he will do whatever it takes in order to make this work. So like how we saw him waiting, 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 waiting in Goblet of Fire to get to Harry's blood. That's a whole year of waiting, but it was worth it. Or now waiting, 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 waiting for Harry to get to the Department of Mysteries. Again, a whole year, but it's worth it. So I think his patience is something that makes him very dangerous. Um, and makes him, <clears throat> you know, don't underestimate him. Well, we hope you've enjoyed getting all the way to the end of this episode <laughs> of the podcast. If you have thoughts on the podcast, please uh, reach out, make a comment on Spotify, make a comment on Twitter, on Instagram, share the podcast with all of your friends and family that love Harry Potter. You can also participate in polls that are going to be placed on Spotify, and I'm sure we'll share them out to our, all of our socials. Mm -hmm. You can also leave a voice message by clicking on that link wherever you find this podcast. There's also a support the podcast link where you can help us out financially by leaving a donation. Uh, this is a lot of time and effort that goes into making these, so we appreciate all of the help, uh, whether it's financial or not. And... We will see you guys back next week for chapter 31 OWLs. It's test time. It is test time. So <laughs> uh, let us know what you guys all think, and we will see you back next week for that. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.